This is the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast and today we are going to be bringing up quite a unique call to action in this episode. Uh, This podcast Mm. isn't necessarily always about the countryside. We started off uh, as part of the People's Countryside Project which gave, uh, let's just say, the environment's voice made it heard through podcasts, radio, talks, walks, film, photography and this podcast grew off the back of that. When COVID hit, you guys, you listeners, kept sending in questions from all over the world. And uh, so what are the six What are the six subjects we generally cover on this podcast? William, the co-host. Yes, I'm William, the co-host of this amazing podcast, maybe, is what we could call it. Well, normally a charade is, isn't it, really? Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, you're now, now going to try and... You're going to test me on these on these, yep. these, these um, subjects. I can never remember what they actually are. No, I'm not going to look at the list you've put in front of me. I'm going to try <laughs> to remember off the top of my head. Nature, philosophy, climate, human condition... Um, no, I've got, I've got no further. Social justice. So, social justice. And sustainability. And sustainability, yeah. And that's all because of you, the listeners. And today's episode is going to be t- telling the story of one of our... Listeners, former listeners, who's now passed. Anyway, I'm Stuart the Wild Man Mabbot. My job is getting everybody out into nature and, and aware of the environment that's on their doorstep. And I do that via talks, walks, these podcasts, any way I can. Who's the co-host? Um, before, I, before I go on, actually, it's probably a good idea to actually have a trig- trigger warning at the start of this episode mm. because we're going to be talking particularly about uh, the subject of suicide, aren't we? So yeah. If that's something that you're uncomfortable with then it might be not the best episode to listen to because it's very different this is a very different it's going to be i feel like it's going to be a very different feeling episode than we've, we've done previously so it's just just good to maybe have that right at the start it's one of the most serious episodes we've ever done oh it easily easily will be yes uh, there will be some there'll be some humor in there but it was yeah that's just something so who are you william i'm william manclo i'm a photographer i also do a live show every week on facebook and youtube about photography and all various different things that I'm interested in, really. Um, yeah. yeah. And usually Stuart and uh, a guy called Headley, who's also a listener of this podcast, come and heckle me mm. every time I'm on. So if, if you want to heckle somebody live live on YouTube and Facebook, 7pm mm. every Wednesday, come and come check me out. So we're here to be a friend in your ear during these challenging times and talking about the tough subjects. Uh, the, often these aren't deba- debates, even though it says it on the on the title. Very often they're, they're meandering style conversations, no scripts, real opinions, and just see where we go. We're not experts, William, we're just two guys willing to explore the, 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 the harsh truths that are out there. Yeah, and from our own truths as they are, as they are now, because yeah. you know we, we're off, we often are changing each other's, changing our minds, because yeah. new information has come up, or a question yeah. sometimes just catches us left field in a way, doesn't it? So, yeah. you know, that, yeah, we, we speak our truths as they are now. We try and normalise the big issues by talking about them. We try and be a world-scale podcast with a local feel, and that local feel comes from actions we can all take. And uh, there might be slightly different actions, depending on where you are in the world, but there's always actions we can take. So, so as we've said, there's a, do you want to do that trigger warning one more time? Yeah, it's a trigger warning. It just There's going to be some sensitive topics today, particularly around uh, suicide. So just if that's something that triggers you, um, then it might be might be a good, might not might not be the best um, episode for you to listen to. So we just want it's just a very different topic than we normally would have yeah. on the podcast, and we just want to make that really clear right now. So we're going to be talking about Leon. He was a, a, a listener of ours, a supporter. He used to come on our walks as well. Good friend of yours as well. Stuart. And uh, yeah, uh, 
I don't, yeah, for a couple of years he appeared in my life and we were like brothers for a while. And, uh, and we, but we want to talk about the person, but we always talk about beyond stereotypes. Leon had some uh, mental health challenges through his life, but we want to look at the real person behind that and not just uh, put him straight into a, a, a category of a listener or, or of somebody who, who, who had some troubles. He was a friend. He, he, he was Leon. It was his own person, like yeah. anybody else's. Yes. Yeah. And the call to action, as said at the top of this, it's going to be probably one of the most important ones we've come up with. Uh, it's basically to put pressure on, on uh, your local MPs or your leaders because uh, there's a there's a process, uh, a, uh, a challenge uh, uh, that's in front of us. We want to bring in Leon's Law. And, uh, and that's, find that's particularly here in the UK, isn't yeah. it? Right? But I think you can put pressure this wherever could, you are. This, this could be world, world, worldwide as well. Yeah, just put pressure wherever on your you leader. are listening to this episode right now. Yeah. So we're gonna we're we're not actually in my lounge. We're not actually in my garden. We're actually out and about for the first time in nearly a year with some guests. I, I've got a feeling this is the first episode we've recorded for a long time outside of the Ring Road. Yeah, we went to Reading. Well, you were in Manchester for a while, but that was sort of like we went to Reading last one year. Of was in, one of us was inside the ring road. Yeah, both exactly. of us outside the ring road. So, we who are our guests? <laughs> we have Diane and Cyril here and uh, as our guests. Who are Diane and Cyril? Right. Hello. <clears throat> my name is Diane, and I am Leon's mother. My partner next to me is Cyril. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, him? Uh, I'm Cyril, and uh, I am uh, Leon's stepfather. Tell us about Leon's Law before we get into Leon's story. What is Leon's Law? Our quest for it began in May 2019. Very sadly indeed, Leon had taken his life at the end of January that year. And so we really wanted to know um, why he had done that and uh, whether something could be done about it, uh, whether the, uh, the system around people who've got serious mental illnesses mm. could be improved. So we had a constituency meeting with our local MP Leila Moran. I think it's fair to say that right from the start we convinced Leila something had gone badly wrong for Leon. His suicide was avo avoidable and that matter needed to be addressed. Was it simply down to the operation, the failings in the primary care and the mental health services? following Leon's discharge? Was it down to the system? We decided to go down that road and we were looking for a Leon's law to fix the system. We needed to raise awareness of the problem and we had to find a way to convince public bodies, that's the mental health services, and politicians particularly the government, that a mental health reform was necessary. Diane had some small successes with articles appearing in the Times and the Oxford Times and some sympathetic responses from charities and campaigning groups uh, concerned with the cause of mental health reform. But for every approach Diane made, there were many responses that d didn't add anything to the campaign. We just had to keep going. The timing appeared to be against us. Layla was definitely for us, but the world changed through COVID in 2020. And so we kept in touch with Layla and her team throughout 2020 and 2021. 
and we made some progress in researching the existing law and thinking what Leon's law might look like. Covid though didn't deny us one thing that went absolutely right and the timing couldn't have been any better. The government announced a consultation process to lead to a mental health bill. A mental health bill was announced in the Queen's speech this May and it was published on the 27th of June. This gave us an opportunity to put our, our reform, a Leon's Law, um, to Layla. Actually before then, I should go back in time, uh, that we had a meeting with Gillian Keegan, who's the Minister for Mental Health and Social Care. This was in Westminster and it was on the 3rd of February. Layla had requested a, a meeting and was present. That meeting lasted 40 minutes and we had a full opportunity to tell Leon's story to the Minister and explain our campaign and we gave a briefing paper to her. In our eyes everything went well, Gillian Keegan listened carefully and couldn't have been more pleasant or sympathetic about the loss of Leon. Now back to the present, Layla and her team, that means her parliamentary aides, have done some research and found a way to introduce a provision into the Mental Health Bill, which will become the Mental Health Act, and that will be Leon's Law. It, it's a bit technical and difficult to explain, but uh, basically it means that, say, a relative, a close relative, would become a nominated person and would be able to, if they were particularly concerned about their loved one, would be able to go directly back to the mental health team and raise those concerns. In Leon's case, um, nobody, uh, either the GP or the mental health team, helped us at all. So it is a small but important step forward and that's the way that I would explain Leon's law at the moment. Now, Diane, as uh, Leon's mum, it must be comforting having Cyril sat next to you because he's got a, a history of the legal system and how to express himself. Uh, it, must be a, a, it must be a comfort in and of itself. Very much so, because um, he can be quite objective and look at the mm. details. And uh, he, he also is quite an expert on the um, Human Rights Act. And Leon was um, actually deprived of that because uh, he was discharged without any any kind of safeguarding and mm. he was in a very very difficult position um, and he wasn't safeguarded at all and he stopped taking his medication and became very mm. ill when we asked for help they wouldn't give it and it was you know it was just a terrible tragedy that could have been avoided mm. but he had a human right to live so his paranoia was telling him otherwise um, and Cyril talks to me about this Human Rights Act that uh, it was um, important f for him not to be discharged in that way and not looked mm. after because then he, he wouldn't have, have, have uh, spiralled downwards mm. and he would have had the right, had his right to live and he would be living now probably mm. if he had been properly safeguarded. To, get, to go from a very, uh, it's very serious illness, uh, schizophrenia, we'll probably talk about that later. Yeah, we'll we? talk about that later. Um, but to just to dis discharge someone to nothing, to thin air, um, and they're quite satisfied with doing that mm. and we were left holding holding it and it wasn't 
being held very well. So Cyril, yeah, on the on the on the law side, he's absolutely brilliant. Human Rights Act, in the Mental Health Act, um, he's absolutely brilliant at it. And so I could concentrate on just the human mm. side of things, the mother, the carer side of things. While all that was going on, William, uh, he was a listener to this podcast. He was turning up to our walks. He he was mm. actually phoning me up and saying, "I've been listening to that podcast. Uh, have you ever thought of this?" You never know uh, when a listener sends in a question or or you're interview, even talking to a guest, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of our questions, well, a lot of our episodes are based around listener questions, and we only get to see the written version of that. We don't hear it in their voice. Mm. So we don't, we, don't, we don't know what the person, how that person came up with that particular question. We don't know mm. what's happened in, the, in, the, in, their, in their background life, yeah. do we? Exactly. We say this podcast is about challenging mindsets, habits, and beliefs. Yes. Regardless of mindsets, habits and belief, this is a challenging episode. It is, yes. Very much so. so. Anyway, Diane, you're sat there with, uh, with uh, what looks like a brass bowl. Tell us what this is. It would belong to Leon. Yep, this is Leon's singing bowl, because Leon was uh, uh, many, many things, uh, many skills he had on many fronts. And one of them was musical instruments, uh, guitar, didgeridoo, African drums. But he also had a singing bowl, a Tibetan singing bowl which mm. aided him in his meditation as well. And I managed to rescue that uh, from his flat, and I have it with me and I play it every day to remember him. And it is, it is a really beautiful thing that uh, vibrates beautifully in your ears and your head, and mm. it calms you down. And he did actually tell me at the time it's very, very um, good for your health and your well-being to hear it. Could you uh, do us the honour of... Uh, um, there's two ways of playing it. Could you uh, do us the honour of... I will, yes. I'll do the the gonging one first. Yep. And it was there was a difference between going clockwise and anti-clockwise, wasn't? Isn't there? If I do it clockwise, that means I'm sending vibrations out to him. And I do this by his ashes, where his ashes are scattered. And if I do it anti-clockwise, that means I'm sort of spiritually bringing him back into me. So it's a two-way thing. So I do anti-clockwise to bring him into me, and clockwise for me to to bring to go to him. So we communicate this way every day. <laughs> is that something you've learned from somebody else, or is that something that you just it just I, feels I it just feels right for yourself? I have learned it, but so I made ask questions about this instrument because I didn't know about it. And yes. this is what one, one of the one of the devotees who know how it works plays told me. Yeah. What's the What's the other way of uh, getting a sound out of that? Yeah, the other one is is uh, running this uh, around it. Very similar when you run a finger around the top of a, a wine yeah. glass, isn't it? A champagne, champagne flute. Yeah. So Cyril, when Diane's communing with Leon in the morning with that, is that like your alarm call to get up? <laughs> Yeah, indeed, it is. You yes. don't hear it, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I confess I don't hear it, but uh, but I do like the sound. I think everybody that's heard it, you know, mm. is is really, 
Yeah, mm. really impressed. But you can feel that sound as well when you put your head mm, right yeah, next to that. So, I'd like to uh, move on to explore Leon's initial diagnosis. Yeah. Because could you just quickly cover his journey from his twenties to into his thirties? Because you've said to me, and I've got it written here. This is your words. It was rather vague and nebulous and not black and white. The word schizophrenia sort of crept in on one of the documents, though family were never really told officially. Mm. Tell us about that early diagnosis and the experience yeah. of that. Yeah, we never were. Um, we had a sort of breakdown and he volunteered to go into a little more for 10 days, a little more psychiatric hospital, and they observed him. And I thought, right, well, you know, they're the experts. What have you observed? And they said, we've observed and out he came and nothing happened and um, he had to volunteer to get help but he didn't because the nature of schizophrenia is that a person doesn't think they're ill they think that something is really happening out there someone really is trying to persecute them and it's not um, a thing you can fix with medicine it's actually happening and this these strange views um, I think I've explained it somewhere um, if you put your hand in a, in, a, in a fire, you take it out again because you know that's a safe thing to do. Well, in schizophrenia, that is very, very heightened, that survival thing. So if someone looks at you in a peculiar way, that could mean they're going to come and get you. And it's all very per persecutory, um, a lot of the schizophrenia is. And so your behaviour is to try and avoid being being persecuted. So um, it's it feels real and it's, mm. not, not, it's most unpleasant because no one else believes it. Um, so he was living like this in this very distressing way and I kept getting in touch with the mental health services saying look it's really poorly and it's really debilitating this illness and they said well it's just delusions you know he's got to come and get some treatment if he wants it but if he doesn't want it we can't make him the only way we can give him any treatment is if he uh, if he does something really terrible or something really terrible is done to him and that that's the premise they worked on for quite a while um, anyway in the end we had a he was really getting quite ill and so we asked for a mental health assessment. And when was this? When he was 30. Okay. And uh, they said, yes Leon, you're really ill. We need to come in for some treatment. Um, and he said, what are you talking about? I never asked for this. And uh, anyway, he was sectioned and it was very, very horrible. Um, the police came and handcuffed him and put him in the back of a a black Mariah type van and then they had nowhere to put him and he was perfectly normal that day but it would just happen to be that day that they came and assessed him the psychiatrist in his home and they had no bed for him so he went to Oxford prison for eight hours because they had no bed for him anywhere and I went to the prison and I said look I want to go there at least be in the same and they said no you can't go in there because it's not safe for you but it, how can it be safe for him if it's not safe for me anyway they finally found him a bed in uh, a little more again actually a little more psychiatric hospital and he was there and for s probably was going to be there for three months but as soon as he arrived there he was immediately told his rights and said he could apply for a solicitor, solicitor to get him out and he spent his whole time there not not being healed or getting better um, he just spent that whole time trying to get out and he, his solicitor in the end won the case for him and his psychiatrist phoned me up and said I'm afraid although he is very ill he's been very on that day of the actual tribunal he's convinced them that it's okay. So he walked out again with all his delusions intact. It was so horribly unscientific and hit and miss. So could I just jump in? How old was he when he had his first breakdown and how, it, yeah. how much time passed before 
he was sectioned. Ten, ten years. Ten yeah. years. Yeah. In his twenties, he had the breakdown, mm. and by the time he was thirty, that's when he was sectioned against mm. his will, because the family were so worried about him not getting anywhere, not getting any help, because he wouldn't seek it out, even though he's very ill. And all the people I spoke to said he does need help, but they wouldn't give it to him, and he wouldn't ask for it. So anyway, it was forced upon him. But it, in a case, it wasn't really help, because after he was allowed to come out, it was entirely up to him whether he applied, to, whether he um, went to his mental health team. He did go to his mental health team, and he, he joined this thing called a CPA care plan approach, and which is a bit like they meet him every so often, maybe every three months or six months, or even a year for 45 minutes, and they talk to him. And I sometimes went on these in these meetings with him. The delusions weren't dealt with. It was just a case of which antipsychotic you want to go on, and they tried a series of different ones. And um, what they did was they might depress the extreme symptoms, but they depressed a lot of other things too, creativity and stuff like that. And um, also, it actually made him sleep till two o'clock in the afternoon, and that made him very depressed because you're not doing anything in life. And um, so he, he uh, it was like really not very satisfactory. It wasn't like if you got cancer and you get a cancer specialist and they do they give you the top class treatment. It was not you know we we had to really bone up on psychiatry ourselves to understand what 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 it was. And they never actually said it's schizophrenia. As I say, it just turned up on a document. We were never really, even though we were caring for him very much, we were never really consulted about anything or told anything. Um, but I did see it in one of his documents, so I was, but it was never told to us, your son has schizophrenia. And um, he never spoke about it either to me, he never said, I've got schizophrenia. I think there's different sorts of schizophrenia, and Leon had the unremitting sort, where it was he never had insight and could see that he had suffering delusions. Um, he thought they were real the whole time. William? Yeah, what sort of struck me there was, you know, the fact that he has schizophrenia, so he has paranoid delusions, right? But not from his point of view, of course. Um, but what, well, how did it, how did he react to being sectioned? Was it sectioned? Sectioned. Yeah, like because that must have been almost like his worst fears come true. That's right. That is the trouble. Um, if he's a fearing persecution. Yes. Being sectioned means that your persecutors Persecuted. come to get you. Yes. Um, and so that would just make it when the, and, and I mean a psychiatric hospital is not a place of healing or a place of it's not a peaceful place at all. It's really awful because I we've been there to visit him. Um, so he was very very resentful about the whole thing and yeah. th didn't think and he said to me, "Don't you ever do that to me again? Don't have me sectioned ever again." But uh, I said, "Look, that's what I had to do because you were very ill and you didn't know it." And he mm. said, well, I can understand you doing that, he said, but you were very misguided because the mental health service can't help me because I'm being attacked all round from people yeah. and they can't give me a tablet to make that go away. So please don't intervene again because you don't know anything about it at all. On a personal yeah. note, I know Leon took that through his whole life, that concern about being sectioned again. Yeah. It yeah. was something he didn't know or talk about, but he talked around it. Yeah. You know, and you knew, you knew that was what he was referring to. Yeah. So moving on again to Leon as a person, we're saying we're looking beyond the stereotypes and of mental health, of uh, schizophrenia, what, any label. You got um, I don't know what you call these devices, William. The tablet. That's a tablet. Yeah. Yeah. You got some images. I, iPad maybe. iPad. It's iPad good. even. Is yeah. it an iPad? Yeah, it's an oh, iPad. It's an iPad. Yes. It's an old-fashioned iPad. Well. <laughs> 
um, you got some images on there yeah. of Leon, yeah. uh, uh, and he was a very outdoorsy um, person. I think that's how I got to know him. I see. I, I spoke it as you know. I spoke at his funeral, and I don't really know how he and I met. But I just global remember retreat. I think it's a global retreat. It was either the global retreat center when I led, led a, a walk, yeah. Or he turned up on one of my walks, and then I met him again at the global retreat center. I don't know, but we we met outside in yeah. the countryside. Can you run us through some of those images? Because there's one of him in a uh, in a glider. Yeah. There's one of him on a windsurf. If you look on our social media page, all these images of Leon will be on there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did, were these hobbies? Were these fads were these i mean what was he like as a person did he take these activities seriously or did he just want to try things yeah he he, he did want to, he, he did like challenges and he he tended to master them too didn't he if it was windsurfing then he did it brilliantly i mean i'd just fall off and into oh. the water if it was punting then he'd do that really well and and canoeing he did it a lot of times he even had his own canoe oh. and took it back to his flat and tried to repair it and everything put it on the thames carried it on his bike and things like that so he yeah um he was he, he was very much outdoors and which bits of oxford green spaces did he like the best sorry say again. which bits of oxford green spaces did leon well, like the best um in the end in the final thing it was port meadow was the only place he really felt self safe mm. there are many other places where he was and he, he quite liked whiteham but again he was very paranoid about people uh targeting him and coming to get him so um uh, so Port Meadow was one place that was uh, a safe place. So um, yeah. he, he and I did lots of, uh, of my walks, and uh, we, we'd go to, we did Wytham, we did uh, Clue Hill Farm near Brill, um, shot over. He, I found it a privilege that he allowed me on some of my workshops and some workshops William and does with me. Uh, we blindfold people. I was thinking of Boundary Brook Nature Reserve. Boundary Brook Nature Reserve. Yeah. Yes. It, it, we blindfold people so you, it increases your se your senses of what else is going on out in nature and he, he actually allowed us to do that yeah so i always said to william that it's a privilege leon allowing I us to do you. that I trust you yeah. you know cyril looking at these images wh which two stand out the most for you i mean which encapsulates leon in your mind uh well <laughs> rather than looking at the images i will give you a, a personal um uh, portrait of him. Uh, I first got to know Leon, uh, of course, when I, I first got to know and started going out with Diane, which oh. was quite some time ago. And he was an amiable guy, an intelligent guy, and one, you know, with whom you could have a, uh, a really decent conversation. And uh, the three of us used to go out regularly on Sunday afternoon for long walks in the countryside. We really enjoyed them. And uh, also, um, I particularly found out that Leon had a, a, a liking for snooker. And we used to go down to the snooker club in Abingdon on a Saturday afternoon and had some great times there. We really, uh, you know, enjoyed uh, the game. We enjoyed each other's company. Uh, Leon, you know, was was totally, you know, as a person, he he would, you know, no hesitation to disclose about his life, who he was, what he was thinking, and you know, for on these occasions when he was um, controlled by his medication, um, he 
he appeared perfectly normal for about 80 to 90 percent of the time oh. but there was always that hint you know of some anxiety some some unusual belief there it it came up you, you tried to you know get round it you would never persuade him uh, that any of these beliefs um, you know were were unreasonable were false um, he, he just didn't have an insight into into the nature of, of his illness oh. we always say William on this podcast we try and break down the big issues mm. into bite-sized chunks so what we're talking about here is a real person a real listener yeah. and you actually there are so many component parts so when you actually see somebody, one act call to action or one action, we don't judge people too quickly when you see them. You don't know what's led up to that. Well, I, I remember, just to interject a story that my mum told me a few months ago. So she goes to sort of this thing called a dropping group in the centre of Oxford where people can just turn up. It's, it's in a church, but you don't have to be Christian. You can just turn up and, and, and meet up. And Is that the gatehouse, by chance? Um, it's the Wesley Memorial Church. Oh, right, OK. In New Orleans Street, my mum's a Methodist. Mm. Anyway, so this one one woman that she sees there right, very often, one week had snapped snapped at her when she'd asked her something, and my mum took it took umbrage to it because you know it's what you do in the, in the moment. The week later, she came and she said, "I'm really sorry I did that because some, this was happening in my life." So you never know what's going on in somebody's life, do you? No. You don't know what somebody's carrying around with them. No. Mm. Um, so, yeah, treat everybody with... Maybe just treat everybody with a bit of kindness. If you can't be anything, be kind. Mm. And uh, well, we always try and stretch people's thinking on this podcast. And, uh, you know, I think this we episode... Stretch our, right? We stretch our own thinking. Yeah, and this is therapy for us. We always say, with the stuff the listeners get yeah. us to talk about, it's therapy for us sometimes. But... Um, I think the, 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 I think this episode is one of the ones you need to listen to more than once to, yeah. to, 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 to really get the resonance of what's being said. It's a bit like the material from with Chase. Chase Ionize. Chase Ionize, yeah. That was released recently. Yeah, released recently. I think it's actually said in the description you need to listen to it more than once because it's yeah. just, there's just, there, there, there'll be things that are resonating with you in different ways. And this, like I said, this might bring up some maybe even suppressed and suppressed memories for yourself from the mm. past because I've been listening to certain things on the radio and, and podcasts and that type of thing and it's sort of brought mm. stuff up so if, it's that, if that's happening to you right now just mm. let it be what it is and reach out to somebody and if you need to reach out to us uh, how can somebody email us if they want to reach, reach out to us <laughs> that's, that's, that's the weirdest link to, a, um, to an email address the peoplescountryside at gmail.com yeah and um, we, we can maybe pathway you to somebody who could help you know but Yes. We don't want to trigger you, trigger you and leave you hanging. You know, no. we want you to... Uh, well, you always say we're, we're a friend in the ear. Yeah. And that's what we, that's what we always... In endeavor, real terms. Endeavour to be. Yeah. Okay, so, Diane, the time lead, leading up to um, Leon's unfortunate set, uh, suicide and beyond, could you tell us your perception of what Leon went through and then uh, give us an insight as you as a mother mm. are observing that? Yeah, well, I think <clears throat> when he was sort of what in 2017 he was probably the most stabilized um uh to be um how old is he in 2017 leon was born in 1974 yeah so in 2017 43 43 43. right okay right he was 43 years old 40 say 42 he was um 42 43 he was uh doing quite well he was a middle-aged man by then and we'd gone through an awful lot together as a family worried anxious about him and he'd um, gone all through an awful lot as well. But he was 
on his medication, olanzapine was the chosen one. And he was doing a horticultural course. He was working as a gardener at Sobel House as a volunteer, Sobel Hospice. He got to level two RHS, didn't he? Yeah, and yeah, I took him over to Water Perry each week to do his course. And it was good. Um, but at the same time, he needed a lot of support and encouragement to get there. He wouldn't have gone there lots of times until I shoehorned him out of his house and shoehorned him into the car, took him to Water Perry to do his horticultural course. And then, yeah, helped him with his exam and his revision and everything. And um, he did pass his flying, and we had a celebration. It was wonderful. He, had, he passed and we had a champagne. We've got a picture there of, of him with his champagne. And, mm. um, oh, that was when he was drinking in your back garden. Yes, that's yeah. right, yeah. Okay. The very back garden that you and he did gardening. Yeah, and, um <laughs> You know, we got him cards and presents, and he was doing well. But he was 43, and he'd been having had this since he was 20, this illness. Um, but it was sort of like, with the sort of the balance between the mental health services, us, the family, me, uh, and as care, main carer, and what he was doing, horticulture, and, you know, it was just about ticking over not too badly. And um, he got rather enthusiastic about that, and the mental health team said, well, now you're doing okay, let's let's discharge you because you're doing okay. And he said, oh yeah, let's discharge me, I'm doing okay. And um, so they did, and we said, no, 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 he's not doing okay. He's presenting well because he's a very intelligent person and he's fairly high functioning, but he's very seriously ill. He really thinks that, you know, people are out to kill him and uh, he's doing all manner of things uh, to try and avoid being persecuted by these persecutors. So from the age of 30 to about 43, he was on stably on alazapine or various other medications? Well, it's more, more like towards the end of his 30s right. when we had this stability thing, because we okay. were thinking, this isn't too bad so long as nothing changes, because mm. it's not brilliant, it's not brilliant by a long way, but we, we can go on holiday, we can do this, we can mm. do that. And uh, so it wasn't doing too badly, but then they were in a hurry to discharge and save money, I imagine. Um, and he was never wanted to be intervened any, with anyway, um, so he was only too glad to be discharged. And um, so he was discharged. And we said, no, 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 he's really, really ill. You can't do this to him. You know, please don't do it. You know, it's it's not brilliant what where he is now, but it's going to be a lot worse if you you take one support away from him because those supports, mental health service and the family, were just about holding him together plus what he was doing. And uh, but anyway, they did and. Um, for a few weeks, he was quite high about his release from the mental health services. Um, but then he started to take, um, you know, take things into his own hands and started to lower his medication. And he started to go down, spiral badly downwards. Paranoia, much more extreme, not wanting to see anyone. Um, and it was really bad. And so we tried ourselves, but, you know, you don't want to be sectioned again. No one wants that. Mm. But please take a bit more medication to get you back to where you were before. Um, but he said, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm in charge of me. I don't want any interference. And I tried and tried and tried. And in the end, I knew that it wasn't good. So we, the family talked and we said, we're going to have to get in touch with the mental health. So it's bad though it is, because they might just come in with a sledgehammer, you know, and it'll be terrible, but that's the way it's going. So I phoned them up and they said, no, can't, can't do anything, sorry. Really? Um, they said, uh, I said, look, he's really ill, and I just, just have a chat with him and tell him, you as an authority, tell him to take his bit more medication or some medication. And they said, um, the only way we can talk to him is to tell him that you phoned me up and asked for help. 
Now, his paranoia was quite bad, and he thought his family were poisoning him. So, mm. if he's found out his mother had phoned up his ex mental health team, he would be really not happy at all about that, and it would be counterproductive, he wouldn't accept their help. So, I said, Can't you just phone up and say you're just having a little review? Um, and would you like to have a little chat? And it sounds to me as though maybe you need to take some more medication because you're sounding a bit that, that kind of conversation mm. that someone in authority would have. Um, and they, they said, We can't do that. We can't, we can't break confidence. We, we have to uh, tell him that you have phoned us to ask us to talk to him. I said, well, I can't do that then. So we carried on struggling, struggling, and he got worse and worse and worse. And in the end, it was just only one person you see at any one time by appointment. And um, it was awful. And he wouldn't come to my house, wouldn't come to his sister's house. He wouldn't come out much. Um, and he was just shutting down. He was actually locking down. It's the word that came through COVID, but he was actually locking down himself, his mm. own life. And um, so we were hoping that come, when you took his life, it's the end of January. We were hoping that with spring coming, we could really get to grips with this and say, look, come on, you know, you know what's going to end, and try again. So this was January 2019. That's right. Yeah. So he got, he got us into such a situation that we had to make appointments to see him, and we had to give him the space he wanted. And we did, but we still looking after him. And so a few days have gone by and I hadn't heard from him. So I sent him a text and he um, didn't answer it. And I said, I know I can see you haven't answered my text, Leon, but if you don't answer the next one, I'm going to come round without an appointment. You know, I'm sorry, but I have to do this. And uh, no answer. So we did go around, didn't we? Yeah. And it was very silent and dark and it's dark and icy outside as well. And um, it was like, something's not right here maybe he's had a heart attack maybe his you know physical body's given away so we then got in touch with the police and uh, phoned them and talked to them and they said look this is a person who's really quite ill and we think he might have stopped taking his medication or lowered it so much we're not sure um we're not sure he might be outside somewhere but you know he's not answering his door so the police came um by now it's getting quite late and uh they called out his name and everything and uh they had to use a reinforcer, which didn't really work very well because he'd barricaded himself in mm. and he'd taken his life um, on January 28th in the probably the evening we'd worked it out. And um, he decided that, in his own mind, we think, that it, it had got so bad that he couldn't get better. And if he was sectioned, that would be like being persecuted all mm. over again. So, um, but it was his paranoia that was informing him that he was really ill and needed to take his life. If his paranoia hadn't got so bad, he wouldn't be telling himself to do that. So as a mother, you felt, um, even though getting him sectioned was, uh, was, would have issues with it, you felt it could buy an insight mm, so yeah. he, he could actually get that insight yeah. into his situation. Yeah. That was the double-edged sword it was know. a very double-edged sword I mean I didn't like doing it I didn't want to do it mm. and I thought but it might just make him better he might be in the mental health services be have their, the treatment that they have for him but it, it, in a way it backfired because it never did do much actually um, so I think there's lots of things that people can do uh, lots of psychiatrists I've spoken to since who are in the research part of it all and they talk about delusions and show people how to how to manage their delusions, mm. not just antipsychotics. So a lot more could have been done talking therapy-wise. Um, but he's a very intelligent person and they had very little to offer him. He tried a lot of things himself and uh, in the end he, 
he made his decision, but it was informed by his illness. And if he, say, if he hadn't dwindled down so badly, he, he might still be here. It was like anaesthesia from that point onwards. Uh, this can't possibly have happened, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I say, I, my, my mother passed at the end of 2016. Somehow Leon appeared in front of me, I think just after that. Um, and uh, not, not an apparition, but you know, he, he appeared in my life and turned up at walks. And we, he, he, we used, I used to go around his place, have meals, and and um, he used, he used to sleep at mine. And we used to watch dodgy B movies and drink plenty of beer and stuff. And I, 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 I could, I had no no insight into the family situation, but I. I was, so I was aware. I, I didn't. Wear, I wasn't aware he was stable, no. because I had no past knowledge. But I was aware that um, he. he I, I could just see sectioning coming, yeah. and I could just see. Well, I was looking beyond that, thinking like, how are we going to get him through that on the other and get build trust again? But as a mother, you've told this story. How do you? How how do you as, as a mother? How do you react to? being so helpless well it's, I sort of feel outraged I feel as though the world should witness what happened to this and that the mm. world should do something about it um, having him sectioned myself by asking for a mental health assessment but I thought it might get him there and get him the help he needed this is the problem with schizophrenia they don't actually people with schizophrenia don't actually actively look for help mm. because they think it's real mm. so uh, the fact that he was treated not very well. The, the coroner, the police, they were all appalled when they heard Leon's story. They said, couldn't they have done a bit better? We went to see the director of the, of the uh, psychiatric hospital here in Oxford and he said, actually, if it, Leon had been his case, he would have um, done it differently. He would have eased it a bit. He wouldn't have stuck to rules and regulations and said, this person finished, discharged. This person's recovered because he said he never was recovered. It was just managing his illness, that's all. So he said he would have done it differently and he said he was going to go see his psychiatrist and ask him to have a have a reflection. But that, I mean that's not good enough because mm. if your child is ill you expect the people, the professionals in medicine or in mental health to not necessarily cure them but make them as comfortable as possible. And uh, if it was a medical illness they probably would have done but in a mental illness I don't no, think so. When you were telling that story there it was a I mean, schizophrenia is something that is just intrinsically in somebody. It is part of who they are, isn't it? Mm. Mm. It's not something that can be quote unquote cured. It's mm. not like cancer. Mm. So it's, it, it's 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 really horrible that they. It's almost like seen as another illness that could be cured. Mm. And then, like, like I say, it's kind of case closed, move on sort of thing. Yeah. With which is most illnesses, that's what the, the, the case is. But it, it needs to be ongoing, doesn't it? The care needs to be ongoing, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. You can't just stop it. No. I mean, if you look at statistics, men over 40 living on their own with a serious mental illness, recently discharged, they are on the top of the suicide risk list. Mm. Did they? Mm. They did a suicide assessment, but it was just a checklist. You ticked all the ticks and that was it. So, off the books, you know. Almost off the radar. Yes, it went off the radar. And uh, no one bothered apart from the family who were never had any power anyway and that's mm. why I would like to get carers to have more power not, yes. not to be a nuisance and be frequent callers but to say we, we, we know our son, mm. daughter, loved one 
they're really, really ill. Please listen to us. Well, you know, in the, especially as a mother, I mean, my mum will say this to me as well, but she, she probably knows us best yeah. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. The, if anybody's out there and you have been given a diagnosis of schizophrenia, we're not going to just leave you uh, un, unsupported in this. Um, Diane, as a mother, anybody who's listening to this with this diagnosis, what words of encouragement would you personally give? Yeah. One human being to another human being. Yeah. Um, you might live in a part of the country where the treatment is better. Um, as time goes on, I think this, uh, psychiatry is going to improve. Um, there are different types of mental health um, levels. You know, there's very serious ones and there's less serious ones. And there seems to be more help for the less serious ones than there are for the very serious ones. Unless it's so extreme you get into a psychiatric secure hospital. But um, schizophrenia is to, is to, you know, there's, there's lots of organisations like Rethink and Mind, particularly Rethink. Rethink was, used to be called Nas National Schizophrenia Federation and they look after, give you information and help both to service users and also to carers. So that would be a good place. I went there to learn all about it. But also if you're a service user with schizophrenia, then they could give you all kinds of help too. And, and there is a help out there, there's talking therapies, and I have to say on the antipsychotic front, there is no development there, it's the same old antipsychotics they've been using since the 1970s, but insist on getting help from the mental health services, just insist. But, but Leon showed you could have a, a, an active life, Absolutely, even with yeah. this. Yeah. But I want to explore beyond Leon's suicide, uh, Cyril. From your perspective, uh, after he passed, I mean, I, I'm only looking in, in on this situation. There must be the immense frustration of the buck passing of responsibility of that he fell through the net, and uh, and nobody's blaming anybody else, but also nobody nobody's taking responsibility. What's that frustration like to witness? It is very frustrating. Uh, before I retired, I was a lawyer, so I knew quite a few things. Um, and certainly, um, I don't like to blow my own trumpet, but I was an expert in the Human Rights Act. Um, and so, right from the word go, I would be drafting letters to the coroner, raising a lot of points, um, not necessarily getting enc any encouraging replies. At the coroner's inquest, I took the opportunity to cross-examine at some length uh, th the three important people, the psychiatrist, uh, the care coordinator and Leon's GP, um, and I felt that the family really made our points about it. Um, it's taken us a lot of effort. Uh, we have been well supported by Leila Moran and her team in building up this campaign. She's your local MP. She's our local MP. But uh, to actually bring about change, you've got to persuade the government of the day and at a ministerial level before you've got any, any chance of introducing a Leon's law. But, you know, why we like to, to uh, have these talks, uh, Diane's interviewed, uh, there are articles, Diane's written a book, um, is we want to raise public awareness. 
Um, I knew nothing about schizophrenia until I met Leon, and, and then of course I've I've learned loads. But I think that there's a better chance of improving the mental health service if we can raise awareness of the mental health uh, illnesses and also the mental health services and where they're failing. And I, I think we've tried to make our case on human rights grounds um, about the absolute right to life and that includes uh, a person like Leon would be entitled to be protected from life-threatening events that are foreseeable uh, and we see we think they were foreseeable and all public authorities are, are bound to observe these that the government of the day um, so far as legislation is concerned also the the National Health Service is a public authority and Leon deserved more I think what sometimes um, people lose sight of is yeah the human side um, you know Diane family and friends um, you know this has been very painful uh, an incredible loss uh, but uh, there is the side of the cost borne by society and often the mental health service is is referred to as a Cinderella service there's not enough money going in everybody knows that but you know think about this equation on the side of change in Leon's case after he was discovered um, in the most horrible circumstances several police officers attended there was a fire crew an ambulance crew Leon was taken to the John Ratcliffe Hospital a post-mortem was carried out there was a police investigation there was a coroner's inquest that I've described. There was a root cause investigation by the Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust. Just you think about how much uh, money, public money, was spent on all of that. Wouldn't it have been better spent on um, an aftercare system? That when somebody like Leon was, was discharged by the mental health service and was under the primary care of his GP, if, if you know that money I've just talked about was spent on meaningful aftercare, it, society would have, would have been the you know the winner uh, in in that case. So yeah, there are complex issues about improving the mental health service. It will take uh, a long time uh, for improvements. It's you know it, there's a lot of persuasion to be done, but we we hope with. Leon's Law, um, with uh, Leila Moran, our local MP, um, uh, intends to lay a private member's bill, which uh, should be an amendment also to the Mental Health Bill. We hope that's a, a small and important step uh, to, to changing this. Again, from my perspective, the outside looking in, when you, you, you as a family were campaigning and putting pressure on, I don't ever remember witnessing you, the, the blame being apportioned. You were just talking matter of fact about the gaps yeah. in the system. Um, do you, how important do you think that is not to blame and just say, okay, let's let's resolve this? I think it's very important not to blame because um, it's just going to make you so miserable if all you can do is point the finger and blame. 
use that energy in a more positive way to effect change that mm. that can save maybe save somebody else from suffering this tragedy and family as well so blame is not is not the answer at all because it doesn't get you anywhere mm. does it it's like it's no point and i don't think anyone did it deliberately i think the system was just not a good mm. enough system and the people were working to the system um in the root cause analysis they did they said they ticked all the boxes they're not to blame um but that's what they did because the boxes they ticked weren't particularly useful or relevant so the system itself is not fit for purpose it really mm. isn't and a lot of people say that i go to um, a group called sobs which is survival of bereavement by suicide and a lot of those people there have had the similar thing happen that's happened to our family um and it just needs it's just not fit for service <laughs> it really purpose should i say i mean leon touched many people's lives <coughs> I, I, I say i you go i don't know how it happened but i ended up talk, speaking at his funeral I have no idea what happened there, uh, how that chain of events occurred. But two years prior to that, you know, I'd spoke at my mum's funeral in the same room, yeah. in the yeah. s almost the same spot. Yeah. And I, I had a slightly different perspective on that funeral than most people because I actually looked at the entire congregation and there was a whole range of people there. He, he met many people. Even though towards the end of his life he wasn't being... Um connecting with anyone he was completely mm. reclusive but all those people are still there and they're mm. still there now and they mm. still keep coming back um, to commemorate him because he was so special and touched their lives um, in many ways helping them looking after them having fun with them uh, having fun with his family his nieces and nephews uh, teasing um, we all absolutely loved Uncle Leon or Brother Leon or Son Leon and it's just not the same without him. His mm. big piece is missing without Leon, you know, mm. definitely. I think I said in my speech there's a Leon-shaped hole. Yes, absolutely. You know, that nobody yeah. will fill. I think absolutely. I said that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, William, uh, we often ask how long should a podcast be? Uh, a podcast needs to be as long as it needs to be. As long as it needs to be. When, when yeah. you said a Leon-shaped hole, it reminded me of the story that when he abseiled out of the window and oh, yes. came through the hatch. <laughs> <door. laughs> Do you want to tell that story quickly? Because it is worth it. <laughs> Well, we'll tell that story. Yes, because uh, yeah, Leon was very adventurous and uh, he was my youngest son and he was absolutely beautiful child, young man, young teenager and very handsome too, I have to say. Um, but when he was about 13, he wanted to do abseiling because he likes um, outdoor activities. And we were living in Kidlington at the time in a little house there. And so he thought he'd practice outside his bedroom window and tie the rope around the window frame and just kick off out and land on the grass in the front garden because that was his way of practicing abseiling. Mm. But what he did was he kicked out, but he came back in again through the dining room window, mm. <laughs> which uh, broke, of course. And um, yes, it wasn't toughened grass or anything, mm. or uh, it wasn't um, double glazing. And so he had to save up his pocket money to pay for that. But he was very shocked when he came through that window. Mm. <laughs> and we were very shocked. When he, when he came yeah. The question is, who was the more shocked? <laughs> I don't know, it might have been equal. <laughs> uh -huh. okay. But Cyril, let, let's just quickly talk about uh, Leon's Law. That's being put through Parliament around now. What's the process? Yes. Um, so the process is um, that um, a bill to become an Act of Parliament has to go through three, sta three stages or three readings. 
It's the second stage or the second reading uh, when amendments are made to the legislation when we hope that Leon's Law will be considered and um, the government will accept it. The, the indication we've got from Leila is that the government is open to change. So that's a good indication. There is a joint committee, which is, uh, I think, 12 uh, people, six MPs and six members of the House of Lords, that are sitting between now, and they are due to publish a report on the 16th of December about all manner of suggested amendments uh, to the bill. And we hope, when the report comes out, uh, to read that they are impressed with our our quest for Leon's Law. It will take time. Um, it may take many months for Leon's Law to come into, into, into force. There will have to be a code of practice for mental health services and GPs to follow. That also will take time to enact. That's a good thing. So, um, you know, we, we hope to bring good news in the, in the relatively near future. But I, we won't rest until it's all gone through. Can I just add something? Um, that code of practice that they have to write to go with it is a really good thing because, uh, as Lady Moran said, if it's just a statement, it's not backed up and they can just choose to do it or not do it. If it's got a code of practice, she said it's almost suable, so they'll have to mm. abide by it. And that's not there at the moment. If mm. it was, Leon would still be here. Leon would, wouldn't have fallen into this big black hole. And that's what she's trying to cover, cover that fall for the net. So the remit of this podcast is giving actions for listeners to, uh, you know, do something practical off the back of listening mm. and thinking about all this. Now, if you're in the UK, what can a listener do to help bring Leon's Law about? Who do they need to write to? Who do they need to put pressure on? I think the, the obvious thing is to their local MP. They could refer to this podcast. They could refer to any of the articles or interviews that, Leo, uh, that Diane has already given. Um, the easiest thing for them to do is to get in touch with their MP and express their own views about it. And hopefully that MP will, will catch on, maybe speak to Leila Moran, uh, but certainly when she gets up in, in Parliament uh, with her private members bill, we hope at that time that there will be general all-party support from MPs in the House. Uh, if somebody wants more information about Leon's Law, is there a website, is there a link, or is there anything out there? To, where could they go? I think a good starting point uh, would be um, to, to get in touch with us, um, and that is to Diane, and uh, possibly uh, look up her book, yeah, I was um, going to say, how, what's the book about and how right. can you get it? Um, the booklet is called A Bird of Paradise Lost and it's quite a short booklet, that's why it's not called a book, it's a booklet and it tells the story of Leon and it tells the story of the mental health problems it tells the story of his suicide and it tells the story of us trying to improve the mental health services and in that book uh, there's, there's two places where you can go one is an, um, an, in, um, an email address and it's called improve mh at outlook.com 
And there's another one in there, which I haven't got the book in front of me now, but it's uh, the publisher's website, and you'll see that inside the book. Um, okay, William's got a copy of this book. Pass it over to yeah. Diane. Right. It says so, contact Diane. Yeah, at the end of the book, um, oh. it says contact Diane at improvemh at outlook.com. And also you can visit the website uh, of the editor, who can tell you more about it, and it's www dot russellturner.org forward stroke paradise dot asp um, that's where you can get the book from or you can get it from the email address um, we can put those links in we'll put those links in yeah. the in, in the description yeah. of the podcast as well yeah. is it available on Amazon at all? no for We're, some reason my, my editor doesn't like that I'm mm. going to um, try and see what what we can do about it but people have asked that so we, we might do it okay we're, a large proportion of our listeners are not in the UK William all right so, so off the top of your head yeah. what can they do to help bring about Leon's law or or change something in their own country this is a bit of a curveball <laughs> for you <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a curveball for <laughs> I, well I'm, I think really first of all to show kindness and care towards yeah. someone who has mental health problems. You may not be able to, you know, um, make them better, but, you know, uh, look, maybe they don't want to be looked in the eye, maybe they're too ill to be looked in the eye, but just so they can feel your kindness and caring towards them, that helps an awful lot. TLC is a fantastic medicine. Um, and be there for them and listen to them or listen to their silence if they want to be in silence. Okay, something that's often overlooked is... Uh We've spoken a lot about the mother's perspective, and we've spoken yeah. to you, Cyril, who you know, you're married to Diane. Leon wasn't your son, but he, he was your stepson. Often overlooked the, the Cyril role in this. You know, you're the you're an observer. You can potentially feel helpless. You know, you, you, your wife is going through this. Leon wasn't your son, but you probably saw him as your son. Yeah. I'm what are the challenges for the Cyrils of the world <laughs> going through this? You're well, supporting Diane, who's supporting you? I do concentrate on, on supporting Diane because it's indescribable, the, the pain, the sense of loss. It's on a daily basis. It comes and goes, um, and it's always going to be with Diane. So I've always got to be on hand, and when she wants to talk about it, I've got to be a very good listener and um, I think it's fortunate that I'm in a position where I can help with the, with the legal campaign and it gives us a sense of purpose and it's a team effort and I think that Diane's booklet also comes at it in a slightly different way because it, it gives people who are interested maybe have been bereaved by suicide to have a personal account of the things that, that might help um, to, to get you by. So in my case, listen and support. But who's supporting you? <laughs> well, in, in a sense, we support in, each in, other. In because, a sense, we support, yeah. In a, because, for instance, I do have, I still see a therapist now. I don't want to burden Cyril all the time with this, but I. It, it, it is, you know, it does, I do have to have support, but I don't 100% expect Cyril to do this all the time, so I, I still see a therapist now, and it's really good, really good to do that. Um, but we are still 
mutual carers uh, for each other. So Cyril, uh, various things have happened to Cyril and I've looked after him and we look after each other, whatever hits the other person, we look after yeah. each other. I, I think it's worth saying that, you know, we have a large family around yes. us. That yeah. it, it all comes together, there are a lot of people there. So if either of us shows, you know, any sign of, of suffering, then the, there are many other people there uh, that, that can come and help. No, I just think that we, we do look after each other. It's not, I'm not a complete diminished figure of... Um, mm. You know, I'm actually very proactive about yeah. things, and and there's quite a few things that have slightly gone wrong in your life, Cyril, and I've supported you, and you've supported me. We know we're there for each other, so, and like Cyril says, we have, you know, we have family, and they're wonderful. We do actually thank whoever it is you thank. Um, we, we we sort of um, very much appreciate the blessings we have in life, don't we? I mean, there's some terrible things that have happened, but there's some ter some wonderful things that are happening with our family as well. And friends. Okay, so coming towards the end of this podcast, uh, William's uh, mouthing like a fish, doesn't know what to say. Yeah, it's just been a lot to take in. Yeah. I'll just quickly talk about Leon again as a person, beyond the mental health, beyond the schizophrenia, beyond his story. What yeah. was he like as a person? Really peace-loving and lovely and slightly different, slightly alternative to the conventional sort of um, person you expect people to be. And as a, as a classic example of this from his, uh, his old, older brother, um, Leon went to visit in Liverpool and they went to Sefton Park and they for some reason decided to climb into a tree because they're both a bit daft. And they climbed into a tree and they were just talking and then James says, well, right, it's time to get out and we'll, car we'll carry on now. And so James climbed down the tree, got off, stood on the grass and he says to Leon, OK, Leon, it's time, time to get down now. So Leon actually walked down the branch of the tree and it just dipped onto the floor and he stepped off the branch. This is how amazing, mm. what's the word I can't think of, um, unique Leon was. I mean, that would have just broken if I'd been on it or, you know, I'd fallen off or something. But, you know, Leon took him to Helvellyn to walk along um, Striding Edge when he was a, a sort of teenager, 13. Sort of it's thing. a mountain in the, uh, in the Lake District. Lake in the Lake District, yeah. And he just skipped along, and I was on my hands and knees, terrified of falling down either side of the precipice. But he just skipped along uh, the top of Helvellyn. He, <laughs> he must have had amazing balance then, because he's, mm. he did windsurfing, right? Yes. So mm, that yeah. needs balance, and it yeah, just sounds like he had an, an, like a very well. fine tune. Yeah, yeah, punting, yeah, you need yeah. balance when you're punting as yeah, well, yeah, don't you? Yeah. It sounds like he had an amazing yeah. balance then, really. And he's very good at Tai Chi, he's wonderful at Tai Chi. It's, it's all balance, isn't it? Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. And Tai Chi is so good for your well-being, that's a really good one for him to do. He was doing a lot of self-help as well. Mm. Yeah, he also studied Buddhism and joined a chanting meditation group, hence the singing bowl. Mm. Um, and uh, he was, uh, yeah, he, he, he was doing a Buddhist course um, and it was doing him a lot of good and he was getting high marks. And um, afterwards, of course, after Leon passed away, I got all that information. And I read the course, I got really interested in it. And the questions and the essays he wrote, they didn't just answer the question that they were asked. They went outside of that and brought stuff in that was new. And it was, I was so impressed, because I, I was in education, so that was a student who'd gone outside and not just done the formula. He didn't do his last essay or his exam. Mm. So I got in touch with this Buddhist course, and I. I didn't go into detail, I just said he passed away, because not everyone wants to know that. Um, and uh, I said, as his mother, could I do the last essay and do the exam? And they said, yes. 
So I did. I did the last essay. I read the whole course. I wrote it. I got high marks for him. And then it was time for the exam. I read the whole course and I sat the exam. And I, I had to put a whole day aside because I really wanted to get the best mark I could for him because he didn't manage to complete it. And I got flying colours for him again and I was oh. so pleased to do that for him. But reading his work, it was so well done. He would have been one of my top students. He'd have been one of my students. Cyril, Leon as a person. Amiable, intelligent. Um, fun. Fun. Unconventional in, in many ways. Uh, could surprise you e easily. Um, and just just a thoroughly decent human being. So we said near the beginning of this podcast, William, that this, this is tough subject matter and it might trigger mm. somebody. If somebody's been triggered um, by this, uh, reach out to somebody. If you need to reach out to us, we're all over social media as the People's Countryside. You can email us at thepeoplescountryside at gmail.com. Cyril, Diane, if somebody's been triggered with this and they've got nobody to reach out to, what would you recommend? Who, who should you contact? I think your GP is the one to go to, and he can then signpost you or get you in, get in, you in touch with somebody who can help you. But um, the G GP, I know they're difficult to get in touch with at the moment, but that's the first port of call. Um, um, yeah. If you use the right language, doors open. Yes. Yeah. I find. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So the call to action one more time mm -hmm. is to try and push Leon's law through to reality. How can somebody put pressure, uh, Cyril, one for one final time, on their MP or anybody in decision making? How can they help make Leon's law real? I know it's asking a lot and I know most of us rarely get in, in touch with our our, our uh, MP, local MP, even if we feel strongly about things, we just let them go by. But there are uh, people out there um, that um, listen to a podcast like this and actually will do that. I mean, you could write to a, a, a local newspaper as well, something of, of that nature. It, it would help enormously, and, and if you do so, thank you very much indeed. Uh, and uh, sorry, no, I think might, might might be useful. I'm sure there's some government website where there's a list of every single MP and how you get in touch with them. So I don't know if that's absolutely sure, but I'm, I'm sure I can find something like that so that we yeah. can put that in the, in the description. So then it's just one click and then I'm you, sure yeah, if got, you look on gov.uk, there's something in there. I bet yeah, yeah, there must be something in there that makes it easy to yeah. know exactly what the email address so, for every single MP is so you can get in touch yeah. with your local. So way. if you know the name of your, your uh, local MP, the name of that MP, House of Commons, yeah. London, it will find that MP. Mm. Yeah. Now, normally we uh, there's a bit more silliness in these episodes and we conclude with a bit of frivolity. I don't think we need to on this one, William. No, it wouldn't seem wouldn't seem very apt, would it? No. Um, there is there is often silliness, isn't there? Yeah. We often descend into a charade as you often yeah. call it, Stuart. Exactly. But, but it's, it doesn't seem it's not right for this episode. No. But thank you, uh, Diane and Cyril, for coming on, telling okay. your story. Yes. Thank, thank you very thank much you. for inviting us. Yeah. T telling Leon's story. I think we need to thank Leon for being a listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, thank, every thank everybody out there for being a listener. And we leave you now with the sound of the wind blowing through the leaves of the trees. <laughs>